You're listening to Chris Farrell's On Watch podcast from Judicial Watch. I'm Chris Farrell, and this is On Watch. Welcome to On Watch, the Judicial Watch podcast, where we take a deep dive on topics that are underreported by the mainstream news media and demand a further look in greater background, context, and discussion. Today, we've got a wonderful treat for you. In just a few seconds, I'll be joined by a truly, truly great American, Mr. Lou Dobbs. But first, I'd like to remind you that Judicial Watch's mission is to promote transparency, integrity, and accountability in government, politics, and the law. If that appeals to you, you are in the right place. So follow and rate this podcast on Watch, whether you found us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or any of the other platforms out there. Be sure to subscribe and leave us a rating. Lou Dobbs is the host of the Great America Show podcast. He introduced that or started that in November of this past year, 2021. His career in broadcasting, as I'm sure all of you listening out there know, spans decades. He started in local news, then uh, went over to CNN in 1980 as one of the original anchors of that network. What a different world it was then. He took a show, Lou Dobbs Tonight, to the Fox Business Network in 2011, where he became the highest rated show in all of business television. Lou's also a best-selling author. I'll mention just three very timely and relevant titles here. The Trump Century, Border War, and Putin's Gambit. It sounds like the headlines that uh, we've been looking at in the last few months. Lou survived and graduated from Harvard with a degree in economics and is the recipient of numerous awards and honors, including several Emmys, the George Foster Peabody Award. That was really designed as the, the broadcast version of a Pulitzer. A lot of people don't realize that, but Lou's been awarded that, the George Foster Peabody Award. Most importantly, Lou is the father of four adult children, six grandchildren, and is husband to his lovely wife, Debbie. Lou, welcome to On Watch. Chris, great to be with you. A, a delight. and. Uh... Uh, you know, I, you left out one award that I want to mention, uh, <laughs> which is the Emmy for Lifetime Achievement. Uh, and, and that gives me great pause because I, I, I was given that award <laughs> 15 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> well, anyway. now you're up in the realm of supernatural achievement. There you go. Absolutely. <laughs> or one could say I'm, uh, you know, at uh, Supernatural's uh, uh, front porch or something. Like that. <laughs> well, this is a wonderful opportunity for us at On Watch. We've been very fortunate. Uh, our listeners have been very supportive. We've been growing week after week, leaps and bounds. We've got thousands of people now subscribing to us and listening. Uh, and this this kind of format, as you know from your own podcast, this format is great for covering topics and conducting all sorts of interesting mm -hmm. interviews and discussions, um, really having a conversation about stuff that gets kind of superficial drive-by, you know, headline kind of coverage elsewhere. Uh, and I know that you must really be enjoying uh, the new format with your Great America podcast. Yeah, it, it is a wonderful format. You're exactly right. And the ability, and I can't tell you how many of my guests always comment that it is so nice <laughs> not to have the constraints of television uh, in particular, 
uh, imposed on us. And, uh, and I, and I have to say to be able to not have to worry about a producer in my ear saying you have three minutes, <laughs> two, one, <laughs> it's, it's, uh, you know, it's very liberating. Uh, it's a wonderful way to, to have a, a, a connected form of communication with the audience that is uh, both intimate uh, and uh, very to me appealing and i know it is the audience too we've we just had a wonderful reaction from the audience it's tremendous and uh, we're we're proud to uh, cross promote on this of course you know i, I have a, a very fond recollection i can't remember exactly when it was but back in the days of fox business when i was on your show at one point there was a producer who was, I guess, prompting you to go to a hard break. And you very, uh, I was going to say tactfully, but that, that might be giving you a little too much credit. You basically <laughs> told them drop dead. You were staying on the air. You're going to continue with what you wanted to do. And I remember sitting in the little cubicle studio with the robot camera in Washington and just laughing to myself because it was wonderful. It was a, you very cheerfully told them no way in hell we're staying on the air and going with this. And you just kept going. It was very funny. Well, I I'm glad you laughed. I, I know that I, I probably was a little less than tactful in, in saying that, but uh, <laughs> to, to my colleague uh, who was producing, but the fact is I've always had free reign on my shows to, to speak to whom I wanted. Uh, and to, and frankly, uh, to speak as long or uh, in any way that I could, I, I don't want to make it sound like I could go five minutes, but I could get the better part of four, you know, uh, in long form, that's long form in television terms. It is, it is. Well, fortunately, uh, we have long form today, and we're very grateful that you've joined us. Great to um, be with you. We listened to Biden's State of the Union speech last night, and... Uh, you know, I got about 25 minutes into it and uh, it was just, I mean, it was really unbearable. It was mind boggling. It was this alternate reality kind of universe that we were, I was sitting there listening to. Um, it, but so much for Biden's State of the Union, I think, I know that I want to hear, and I really believe that our, our listeners want to hear, what's Lou's State of the Union? Hmm. You heard Biden last night. Give me, give me a couple of right off the cuff observations or, or your first impression, and we can move on from there. Well, I, I'm delighted to be in such company as uh, is with the President of the United States on assessing the State of the Union. Uh, Chris, you're more was... qualified. That's... <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, on that, you and I agree, and my wife may be holding some reservation on that. But the fact of the matter is, uh, we're in alternate realities, uh, divergent realities with the president. I cannot even, uh, I, I'm very serious about this. I cannot even imagine how anxious and how just overwrought all of his advisors and everyone around him, including his wife, uh, Dr. Jill, uh, would be feeling uh, as they pushed him out on <laughs> to go into that uh, uh, into that state of the union speech not knowing what's going to come out the other side it was it was just awful as you say and it was a man who 
was trying to act comfortable, but he was completely not comfortable. He was uh, expressing thoughts that he, I, I think, had only traveled through his mind maybe once or twice before. Uh, he is not an original thinker, and that's why he plagiarized, I'm sure, at various points in his life. But last night, Chris, this man was plagiarizing from Donald Trump. Yes, I, I thought at one point after he got through talking about uh, buy American, hire American, bring back manufacturing, uh, I thought he was going to announce a set of tariffs against China and Russia and the Western world and, uh, and, and announce that he's converting to Republicanism and not only Republicanism, but Trump Republicanism. It was it was stunning. And the dutifully, the cable news media uh, follow on with raves. If you're watching CNN, as I was at one point, uh, just to see what those folks came up with, they were Van Jones, one of their stark uh, contributors, raving about the performance of this man. So now you have another alternate reality serving the second alternate reality. It, it is a it's solipsism at its worst, and to think that these people can do that with a straight face is really to me appalling. Uh, and all of them do it. All of them do it. Uh, it. It's just silly to have a ritual built around a ritual. And, and the part that the so-called independent press, and they are not that at all, as you well know, they are corporate owned uh, media outlets and they do what their corporate masters say and they were following along dutifully last night, trying to make much of what was really nothing. Uh, the, the president's speech was awful. Uh, he was unintelligible at various points. And again, he, and when he pivoted to fund the police at all costs, you knew that he was in deep trouble. If you hadn't read his 37 and 38 percent approval numbers, uh, at an all-time low in a, for a modern presidency. You know, the thing that a lot of folks don't even realize is that, uh, you know, we, we go through this production of State of the Union. It's only about 100 years old. I mean, Woodrow Wilson uh, invented this notion of a State of the Union address where he came down Pennsylvania Avenue and, uh, you know, made a, 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 a presentation to Congress on what, you know, the plans and the view and sort of a, you know, a recap of where we are and the vision for what's ahead. The whole thing used to be done by letter um, yep. going back to Washington. But Wilson very, uh, you know, in only his own, Wilson's unique style, he's the one to turn it into the event that it is today. Uh, you know, it's not some sacrosanct. I guess after 100 years, it, is, it becomes a tradition, obviously. But uh, it's a gimmick. It was, it was a PR gimmick at its foundation. And it continues to be that uh, some people have mastered it and done it beautifully. Uh, and other folks, uh, last night's performance, you know, was at best a C minus, maybe a D. It was just kind of tone deaf and, and dis disjointed. He made leaps from topic to topic that were, you know, hardly smooth. Um, I would do want to point out one thing that I, I saw and, uh, I'm going to do a sort of an unfair quiz. I'm going to, I'm going to give you a, a little snippet of a reading of something and get your reaction. But I was watching sort of the, the pregame festivities, the coverage before the speech actually began. And they were showing essentially, you know, deserted streets in Washington, D.C. Mm -hmm. 
Uh, they had buses and uh, garbage trucks blocking uh, all the side streets on the approach from the White House down Pennsylvania, a little zigzag on Constitution and then to the Capitol. But all the intersections were blocked with uh, with uh, buses and garbage trucks, uh, police motorcade, uh, empty, barren streets, not a soul walking around. And then, uh, you know, the approach up to the now fenced once again uh, capital. We, we can fence the right. capital. We can't fence the border, but we can fence the capital. And so this particular snippet came to mind. I'm going to quote something here. It's pretty short. Quote, it was a place impossible to enter except on official business and then only by penetrating through a maze of barbed wire entanglements, steel doors, and hidden machine gun nests. Even the streets leading up to its outer barriers were roamed by gorilla-faced guards in black uniforms armed with jointed truncheons. And that quote, I'll let you guess. It's kind of a tough quote, but can you guess where that comes from? Well, I, I would say it was either East Germany or North Korea. <laughs> Well, those are excellent guesses, but that that is actually a quote from 1984, George Orwell's classic. Ah, uh, it was uh, his was derivative. <laughs> <laughs> and so, I mean, this the old I always remind people 1984 was supposed to be a warning, not an instruction manual. And mm -hmm. so uh, that description really was Washington, D.C. last night. And then, you know, Biden goes in and, and does his thing. Um, so there are some things I want to talk about that he talked about. And that is obviously Ukraine is a nightmare. Uh, but I also believe that Biden uh, actually contributed to it. I don't think that uh, I mean, Putin, Putin understands history. He knows that he got away with grabbing Crimea under an Obama Biden administration, and no one did anything. Uh, and uh, and now there's a, there was an opportunity for him to grab either chunks of or the rest of Ukraine, because he knows that Biden is weak and doddering, that there's no real unity, there's no leadership. Certainly, NATO is sort of a shell of what it used to be, and Biden, you know, has uh, doubled. The uh, U.S.'s uh, oil imports from Russia. So he was very busy shoveling hundreds of millions of dollars to him to finance his, his invasion. Um, what is your take on on Biden's approach to trying to preempt or forestall Putin, and then now his sort of reaction with sanctions? What what, what are your views on those two sides of the coin? His sanctions are meaningless. Uh, I, I'm not sure what they're meant to do. Uh, other than serve as a public relations, uh, you know, device. Uh, it's it's really sad when we hear leaders talk about sanctions, presidents in particular, because they know full well that sanctions don't work. Uh, they never have, uh, in my judgment, they never will. Uh, they may work in uh, in certain circumstances that we haven't encountered at some point. But to this, they, look at that military that he rolled into uh, into Ukraine. Putin has the most advanced military aircraft, jet fighters, uh, has stealth aircraft. Uh, 
uh, as, and the Chinese are catching up with him quickly. But he ha still has the second largest military in the world, and it is modernized. Its uh, troops are more highly trained than they, are, uh, than they seem to be acquitting themselves uh, in, in Ukraine. Uh, but they are a highly effective and deadly force. And I, I just don't understand, first of all, why he's not used that force more effectively. And secondly, I don't understand why so many Western leaders are actually criticizing him for not doing so. I, I think the best that they could do in most instances, including Biden, is shut up and not urge him to do something that they would regret. I also think in, there's this unintended consequence of all this sanction talk and all the kind of, you know, efforts, the, the, the very weak failed efforts of the Biden administration to forestall this invasion. And that is that uh, Biden has managed somehow uh, to really create the conditions that drove Putin and China, Xi, together. I mean, he... The, the effort was always to pry the two of them apart. He, and what he's done is created conditions where they're actually in full cooperation with one another now. China is going to be the back door to every sanction that Putin dreams up. Yeah. Uh, right now, I have to believe that President Xi Jinping is cussing himself uh, privately for having made Vladimir Putin his single global strategic partner and because he is now culpable in all of this he is appended to putin and his international political fortunes there is no escaping it and will he be held as accountable uh, as uh, culpable uh, as uh, putin no but he's certainly secondary and that's going to have a lasting impact if they if he does not figure out a way to extricate himself from this whole horrid invasion. Uh, and he's going to have to do it pretty quickly. And I don't think it's going to work. His uh, his offer uh, to be the chief negotiator uh, between the West and uh, and uh, Putin. Yeah, you know, I, I think that's actually sort of a canny move on his part, because uh, you know, just when we really needed him, where's Hunter Biden? I mean, here's the guy with all the experience in the world in Ukraine and Russia, right? If only Hunter was around, maybe he could have saved us from this invasion. I'm not sure. Well, um, Biden is sort of plays the role of junior partner in this triad. Uh, President Xi uh, and, of course, Vladimir Putin. And then there is the Biden family waiting to see what riches can be won in it all, I'm sure. Uh, there's no question that Biden is, co is compromised in this. There's no question that the family uh, has so many tentacles reaching out to various uh, hotspots of corruption around the world, but certainly uh, foremost among them, uh, China and Ukraine the, the family fortune rests uh, solidly on a, uh, a foundation that was constructed in those two countries, don't you think? Yeah, I mean, let's just do the, this is always the test that makes everybody crazy. Let's just take uh, Biden and Trump and flip-flop the names around. Let's pretend that, you know, Donald Don Jr. and Eric Trump 
had all these various connections in China and Ukraine and Russia and just you know flip it around just change change over the family and the and the relationships of who who's been doing deals with who and what would the press reaction be to the current state of affairs yeah it would be whatever of course they're corporate masters and by that i mean think about this the disney corporation and its ownership of abc news uh, cbs viacom and cbs news uh, CNN owned, of course, by uh, uh, AT&T uh, and soon Discover. Uh, Discover. Uh, we're going to see uh, just more corporate mandates come down uh, to the to the lackeys in those corporate newsrooms. They're going to propagandize and they would salivate at the thought that they could target Donald Jr. or Eric or Ivanka. Uh, and go after Trump even uh, through his children, uh, as they have for about six years now. Uh, they have not respected his family they, and, and let, let them be uh, off limits. Instead, they've persecuted them uh, in the media, persecuted them in courtrooms, uh, persecuted them politically. It's outrageous. And the country, by the way, what's more outrageous is the Republican Party has let it stand without response of any significance. and. The Democratic Party uh, has permitted it as well when their wise men and their leaders should have shown some integrity, some decency. And what we saw instead was a bloodlust, a political bloodlust on their part. That is the Democratic Party of 2022. And it is about to get its comeuppance and a because a reckoning awaits, I truly believe, in November of this year. Will it be adequate? Not from my, not from my standpoint, uh, because I really believe uh, that the Democratic Party should forfeit uh, its role and let another party be born because this one is corrupt through and through. It is a, it's an organization of evil that has transgressed against every, seemingly every single uh, law governing our electoral system uh, and our constitution. I, I agree with you completely. And I also think that there's a real, uh, and it'll be more apparent, I think, after the midterms, is that there's going to be an enormous split in the Democrat Party. The sort of the uh, run of the mill, rank and file Democrats who sort of, you know, do all the usual uh, tricks and, and can be counted upon to, to sort of uh, act in a reliably sort of predictable way. But there's also now, you know, sort of this Bolshevik wing, this really this crazed, uh, you know, squad type uh, mm -hmm. Democrats. And uh, I think after uh, the midterms and the, the, the fallout, look, I think it's like the 32nd Democrat has announced that he's retiring and not mm -hmm. running again. Um, so all those seats are up for grabs. And there's people who are just frustrated and angry that are going to vote the other way. There's going to be a pretty significant swing, and I think that's going to create pressure in the Democratic Party. And I don't know that there's going to be an ability to reconcile these two different, very distinctly different wings of the same party. Yeah, I, I accept, Chris, the Republicans are as divided. <laughs> uh, 
and leaderless uh, and leaderless in so Congress. Ma- at least. Yeah. <laughs> as, uh, as they say in uh, sports, you know, they match up pretty well. Uh, <laughs> you, you've got Mitch McConnell and you got Chuck Schumer. You, you've got uh, Nancy Pelosi and you got Kevin McCarthy. Yeah. And then in the house, you have 50 rhinos on the right and you have, uh, you know, 50 crazed uh, Marxists on, uh, on the left. Right. So there's, in a strange way, we've achieved some balance and checks and balances. This isn't what they intended, the founders, but it's uh, it's worked out that way. I just, I just again find it difficult to imagine the Democratic Party overcoming what is such clear and obvious evil and corruption uh, in nearly every one of its, uh, uh, you know, electoral opportunities over the last uh six years and i don't think that this will be any different because i think the republicans are are, are you know they're mouth breathers and they're uh sucking wind right now they're talking <laughs> a great game but uh, getting very little done and that's what they do uh, republicans are first of all through the rnc they're a bank uh, and then they have branches of that bank uh, and, and and the money is flying but you know what it's still at the end of the day, just a bank. They don't yeah. go, they don't, don't get anything done unless Donald Trump is in the white house to lead them, uh, and insist that they do what's right for the American people. And the then American, they go along kicking and screaming, you know, it's, uh, yeah. Oh yeah. They, well, they're kicking and screaming, but they're kicking him. Yeah. Uh, if they had aligned with the president, uh, instead of the Democratic Party, if they'd aligned with the president instead of the Chinese, uh, if they had aligned uh, with uh, the the president instead of the deep state, where would the country be today? I can guarantee you that he'd be in the White House. Vladimir Putin would be sucking his thumb in the Kremlin and being a very, very polite and orderly leader. Uh, but with this, and by the way, 62%, incredibly, the polling shows that uh, most Americans agree. Uh, actually, a vast number of, of um, uh, 62% that this, this president is responsible through his weakness, uh, his incoherence, uh, for what is happening right now. Because that 62% says if Donald Trump we're in the White House, and I think it's exactly right. Putin would never have dared invade Ukraine. You are correct. And uh, the American people are correct in that regard. I can tell you that uh, something I've heard from any number of folks um, through communications at Traditional Watch, but also personally, is folks are really offended that we're supposed to be up in arms and, and flailing about screaming over the sovereignty of Ukraine's border. Uh, but ours, forget about it. Ours, we can leave wide open. Nothing mm-hmm. to worry about, nothing to see here. Uh, the border crisis worsens oh. uh, day by day, week by week, month by month. I was speaking with a rancher last week. He has uh, a property right on the border in Arizona. And during swing shift alone on one Uh, Thursday afternoon, the Border Patrol captured 160 illegals crossing his property. That's on his property, on the border, one swing shift afternoon alone, 160 apprehensions. Lou, why should we not 
really give a damn about the American border, but we should be up in arms over Ukraine's. Well, it's because the left demands it and the national left wing media, the corporate owned media demands it uh, and corporate America itself demands it through its uh, support of all of these pro illegal immigration organizations. Uh, they call them pro immigration, but these are the same, the same left. This is the same left. This is the same corporate uh, culture uh, and uh, power structure that has you know, cheerfully embraced Roe v. Wade, watched uh, 60 million, uh, what could have been 60 million people in this country right now, uh, born here to American parents, uh, productive citizens, human, you know, people talk about human resources. Well, why, how in the world does anybody support abortion? If you truly believe, uh, just in the, in, in the, uh, the mantra of, uh, you know, modern corporate America, you know, you've got, these are human resources. We should prize them. And at the same time, they endorse uh, what to me is uh, their deaths. You are a hundred percent right. And, and, and is a so, brutal, brutal consequence of a, a twisted uh, thinking that, that has resulted in those deaths. And it's led by corporate America. It's led uh, by the left and there's no accountability for it. It's, it's stunning because we have people who, Oh, you know, I, I don't want to get into that argument. Well, you damn well better get into that argument and a host of others, because those arguments are the, are the stuff of which uh, our future is made. Uh, and I think that it is, it is such a lasting tragedy for this nation. Uh, we talk about slavery uh, in the, the mid 19th century. Uh, from our founding uh, through uh, the mid-19th uh, century. What about abortion and the consequence of death for innocence? How are we to deal with that? And that difficult question is answered in part by that is why so many Americans are silent on the issue, because it is, it is heart-wrenching. I, it, it reaches to your very soul to have to discuss whether or not you're pro-life or pro-abortion. And for me, the answer is straightforward, and it is a, one of the most important, if not the most important questions to be answered in the body politic of this great constitutional republic. You are 100% correct. Amen. And I'll tell you that uh, the circumstances now are such that people are increasingly afraid. They are literally afraid to, uh, to take a stand or to speak out or to even just have an opinion because they think that they're going to be browbeaten and censured and in some way marked or cut out or canceled. And they're, so that the normal, right, dialogue, the Chris, normal you, dialogue is gone. True. And, and, and you and I know know as well as anyone how true it is. We have permitted the left in this country to take control of our, of our politics, to take control of our electoral system. Uh, they, the left in this country, the Marxist left controls our, our society right now, whether it's through our schools, through the uh, two largest teachers unions, our uh, academia, our colleges and universities, uh, through left-wing uh, professors and the culture of the left, 
that has thrived over the last 60 years uh, there. From whence once we've brought forward great Americans and great American leaders. Now we have left-wing leaders uh, and, 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 and indoctrinators uh, of, of the worst sort, in my view. But it, so what part of America do they not control? Do they control the press? Of course they do. Do they control media? Do they control Hollywood and entertainment? Of course they do. Uh, do they control our government? Yes, just the House, the Senate, the White House, of course. Oh, no. Actually, they also control the entire legal system in this country, from lawyers to judges, full courts, including the highest court in the land. Uh, yes, there is a Republican majority, but on any given vote, the left may assert itself, and we've already witnessed that. Think about the pervasive control of the of the left-wing Marxist and the, the, the doctrinaire uh, ideology that is governing this country right now. It it's is really, truly. No, it's a, it's a circumstance that it really, a lot of people are befuddled by it because they figured, well, you know, we won the cold war and the Soviet union collapsed and Eastern Europe was freed. And, mm -hmm. you know, communism was proven, you know, sent off to the dustbin of history, et cetera, et cetera. But the really insidious thing is that uh, the Cold War never really ended, of course. It simply morphed. And as you point out, in all these various uh, pockets of society, uh, whether it's academia, entertainment, um, even corporate boards, you have these people who were uh, ideologically aligned. And for many of them, it's more than just a political idea or philosophy or ideology. It, it I mean, it's kind of like uh, the the, the uh, ecological green folks. It's nearly a religion for them. You know, it has the same sort of. Oh, I uh, think it is. I yeah. think it is. It's a so belief I mean, system that is uh, interrelated uh, with others, but they all begin at the same foundation. Uh, and it's it's Marxism. No one wants to say that word out loud. They think you you know you're some sort of provincial. Uh, you're, you're being naive uh, and uh, hyperbolic. It is it's Marxism. BLM was and uh, Marxism, and it's they bragged Marxism. about it. They yes. bragged. The organizers bragged that they were quote trained Marxists close quote. Well, and, and by the way, Nancy Pelosi just won't tell you the truth. The truth is, so is she and Schumer. And they are, and by the way, just being a Marxist, you know, isn't enough uh, because they want, they want to end all things American. They want this to be a, 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 a we want, they want us, I think the best way to say this is to look through that Marxist prism and create uh, the world outside rather than uh, continue to provide a, a, a foundation for the next generation's a great democracy, this great constitutional republic. They want to upend it all. And I can't find, even the medical establishment in this country is, is liberal. I can't find an area in which the, the significant right uh, conservatives enjoy even a significant plurality. Can you? Because no, they sure I mean, don't I, have a majority anywhere. Yeah, I've, I've looked for segments of the economy or professions where there's some sort of dominance and there isn't. And I know, 
you know, doctors, lawyers, and Indian chiefs of all different stripes and flavors, different experts of, you know, whatever they're the biggest name in fill in the blank industry, all different folks I've bumped into and talked to, you know, I, I know people that know people and, and I've, I talked to, I like they, that. They, 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 they whisper, I mean, they, they'll, Hey, uh, listen, I, uh, I really appreciate the work that uh, Judicial Watch is doing. And I'm really, uh, I support you guys. I send you checks. And they're afraid to say it out loud. They, I mean, they won't, yeah. it's not polite conversation in company. You know, they, yeah. they're really terrified of it. We are a fearful nation. And that's something new for us. Uh, we began every one of our, nearly every one of our shows. We mean to do so. Uh, talking about truth, justice, and the American way. Uh, the truth uh, of it all is that this country is not what it was. I don't know what our capacity is to get back soon uh, to our founding values, our the great energy that uh, that this country had on the within the within the global context, the great energy to do good all over the world because we lost our way and we lost our way because we let uh, the Woodrow Wilsons uh, of, uh, <laughs> of the American way uh, have their way instead of uh, insisting that we continue with what has worked for so long. Uh, a, 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 a system of government that demands equality uh, of opportunity. It demands equality before the law. Uh, and somehow that has been perverted by the left in, in nearly every facet. Uh, and it is a it is an assault uh, that makes, let's put it this way, uh, let's put it this way, uh, it makes the Russian assault on Ukraine look sort of piddling by comparison. It's more destructive, more lives are being lost. Uh, and as long as we continue to lose the war uh, against abortion, uh, that will be the case. Uh, as long as we continue to lose the war against drugs, that will continue to be the case. So long as we accept collateral damage in our society uh, from drugs, uh, from uh, a, a system of, of government uh, that demands that we bow our heads and kneel uh, before the totalitarian government that is that has risen up as our own. Uh, we, we look north to Canada. We're, there are more authoritarian impulses in just a few weeks of the Freedom Convoy and the way in which the Canadians at their uh, provincial and federal level dealt with it. Uh, and, and Justin Trudeau, why, he looked like a little Mussolini up there. Uh, yeah, he went, he went from being a uh, lead singer of a boy band into uh, you know, suddenly trying to do a Mussolini imitation. It was quite astonishing. It, it was horrific. It, it, it's horrific. The best thing about it is that uh, that at least we don't have to see his image uh, in our on our websites and in te on television and video on our computers. But uh, for a while, but he will be back, and he is he is. I've always dismissed him as this effete uh, uh, twerp. Yeah. Uh, yep. you know, and thank you, Daddy, for this really neat job I have up here in Canada. Uh, he's more dangerous than that. And that was the big surprise of it all to me. You know, uh, one of the things that I've been uh, uh, focusing on or trying to do some research and writing on is the idea that our living memory, our living memory is being actively, purposely destroyed 
right? We're forgetting, but we're forgetting in a way that's really, um, you know, you mentioned just a moment ago that, you know, when you recall certain things from the past, like, you know, hey, these guys are Marxists and this is, uh, you know, right out of the, the, the uh, Lenin playbook kind of thing that you're, you get branded as being sort of reactionary and provincial and there's an ostracism that goes on, you know, but it's my, I am convinced that when it comes to how they try to suppress people and cancel culture and all that nonsense that, you know, are, I guess what I want to, what I'm trying to get at is that there's this psychological conditioning. The public is really being, is being subjected to psychological conditioning. Mm. There's this desire for this like uh, perpetuating anxiety, really neurotic anxiety and it has an impact. It's destroying our culture. It's destroying our ability to debate, to have conversations, to, in the, in the good old bad old days, you could be ideologically or philosophically opposed by, to, to somebody, but there is still an ability to go back and forth. And now that's gone. Now everyone <clears throat> withdraws into their camp and, uh, you know, hurls stones. Um, and sadly, uh, with the exception of someone like Trump, you know, we're losing. If we had to rely on uh, on Mr. McCarthy, the spe- or the uh, the wannabe speaker, uh, you know, we're doomed. Yeah, it, it, it's it's interesting. You talk about it being, you know, this provincialism uh, the, and the fear of it uh, on the part of those who want to be perceived as sophisticated. I, I, I have to tell you, I, I'm very proud of being uh, a, a an American uh, a, a, who came up uh, from a, a working class family uh, slash poor. Uh, both parents worked. Uh, I got every break in the world uh, out of good fortune and the people who took an interest in me because of the public schools, uh, a public education system that let me be who I was uh, and uh, enjoy uh, reading, writing, and arithmetic, and doing pretty well at it. Uh, had it not been for that, I, my life would have been quite different. Uh, and we don't have that now. We have teachers that are willing. I mean, it's because of a, at least a half dozen teachers who took a personal interest in me and made sure that I was learning uh, up to my ability. And uh, I, I don't think we have that. Uh, we have teachers instead who are willing to shut down a school because it gives them an extra nine months a year off. Correct. I mean, how how cynical, how base is that on the part of these teachers? I don't give a damn if they're left, right, Republican or, or, or Democrat. How dare you do that to children? How dare you do that to this nation? Those youngsters are the future, and we treat you know to have them treated in that such way, and the politicians of both parties to to accede to it, and the communities. And I blame. I've always said that everyone in this country should work first at home, uh, and then their community, their neighborhood, because that's where you can control in your local politics more of your life, your standard of living, your quality of life than. And any discussion about the United Nations or, frankly, Washington, D.C. Uh, and we have too many who take for granted that a handful of people in your community uh, can do things like bring in CRT into your textbooks and to have classes on it within your public schools. It's disgusting. 
Uh, and it's disgusting because all of that is being managed out of Washington, D.C. and academia, which is nothing more than a stream of Marxist activism uh, that we have to blunt. And, and the, the, uh, the education elite, right, whether they're sitting in the Department of Education or whether they're members of one of these national association of school boards or uh, teachers unions or any of the rest of them, these are educrats who have a really condescending, snotty, obnoxious attitude about uh, their control over the, the education system and curricula and what children will and will not be taught. And you know, this is that is the prime grounds uh, for this. Uh, I mean, it's really it's a derivation of the old Frankfurt School with all critical theory, but in this instance critical race theory that they're using to destroy the minds of uh, kids mm -hmm. and split and divide people where it's unnecessary. Um, and, and then, as you pointed out, it's driven by the federal government. You can look at critical race theory and its application in the Department of Defense and this clown, this political commissar, Bishop Garrison, and the damage he's doing to the Department of Defense, creating problems where they don't exist, dividing people, um, this is the kind of stuff, it's so corrosive on the fabric of the nation. The consequences are so grave. And the problem is, if you have, if you have somebody of a certain age, pick, I don't know, 30 and under, they don't know any better. They have no idea. You talk to them about a different world, a different life, a different America, and they look like you, like you have two heads on. Yeah. And the, the inculcation, the uh, doctrination, the indoctrination of our young people. Uh, I was watching a basketball game recently, video of it in high school, uh, high school basketball game. And the kids were standing as the national anthem was played, but they, they had, they were holding each other's hands uh, in some act of team solidarity, I'm sure. But it was so immensely disrespectful not to have their right hand over their hearts. Uh, I, I, I just was stunned by it uh, and the indifference to that. Uh, we, we don't have 4th of July parades that uh, feature our National Guard or our reserves or our veterans. Uh, we just have a quick uh, sort of run through if you have one at all in your community. Uh, instead of honoring the military, I was talking with a, with a, a veteran uh, recently who said, well, that we don't want to have too many parades because the guys are really tired. Those, those guys who are coming back from <laughs> Iraq and from Afghanistan. And, and I said, you know, I think those guys would love yeah. to have the opportunity to, to be uh, in parade uh, with uh, tanks and uh, Humvees and uh, the military equipment and uh, be greeted by the community that appreciates them so much. It's, you know, it's just stunning to me. Yeah. It's not, it's not national barbecue day. I, I don't, that's a bulletin I want to put out to everybody. It really, if it's not national go to Best Buy and get a new, new television day, it, it, it's something more than that. And it's been forgotten. I love a lot of people, you know, it's this problem we, we bump into where they don't know what they don't know. Here's a quick little example. Uh, you have people on Republicans, people on the right, all excited about how electoral maps back in 2000 
uh, which is now, of course, 20 some odd years ago, uh, all of a sudden, uh, Republicans returned into red. And yep. forever and ever and ever, Republicans are always blue. Look at the landslide Reagan uh, electoral map, and you'll see uh, the entire map is blue. And suddenly in 2000, Republicans are rebranded as red. And people say, well, what's the big deal? I said, well, you know, it's just a, there, there's, a, there's historicity here, right? There is uh, the Red Guard and Red Army and Red Square. And the red has always been the color of the left, right? And, and there's, there are reasons why. And I, I always find it amusing that people are so excited. Republicans are being red. And I, it's lost on them that that, that actually was a little bit of an okie doke flim flam that was played on them. And uh, they don't appreciate the, uh, the, how they got played that way and what the color symbolism is. It's a minor point, but it always irks me. And when you explain to people why and how, you get a look on their face like, oh, wow, I didn't, I had no idea. Well, okay. Um, it's like it's like I, I think I think that's a, a wonderful point, and and I and I think we should demand answers of everyone, uh, and particularly the Republican Party, which had the real bad judgment uh, to so easily acquiesce to being yeah. red, uh, which by the way it always follows better uh, dead than red. That's correct. Uh, <laughs> uh, uh, why? I, I guess there's another part of this. Why don't we just ask the simple question? Why don't our youth have the same love and respect and gratitude for our country as did our and does our generation? And why don't we want that question answered? Because it's staring us straight in the face and the country's future is at stake uh, in, in that answer and what we do with that answer. Don't you agree? I agree 100%. It comes from Howard Zinn and his atrocious uh, history book that's used in virtually every school around the country. And it comes from the phonies who uh, promote the 1619 project mm -hmm. and, all the, and all the resultant critical race theory garbage. They do everything they can to deconstruct and to, to de disestablish and to take shots at America's founding and all of our leaders and founders since then. And, uh, and that is why, because you're, they're being fed a steady diet of, you know, America's horrible, racist, misogynist, blah, blah, blah. They don't know any better. They have no intellectual ammunition to fire back. And, uh, you know, you've got a handful of homeschoolers and uh, people that go to Hillsdale or Liberty or Christendom or a few other conservative college, colleges out there. And other than them, the rest of them are just, you know, have their big ladle and they're, they're scooping up and swallowing down, you know, bowls and bowls of this garbage that they're being fed. And they yeah. have nothing, nothing to come back with. And, you know, it, it's incredibly the Republican Party is filled with gutless. I, and I mean this it, it, gutless uh, individuals who want to be in office, but don't have the courage of their philosophy or their ideology. They don't have the courage to stand up. I, we have seen, I don't know how many state legislatures in the last month give up on the idea of vouchers and funding students rather than, than institutions and, and unions, uh, if you will. Uh, and to do so, because in one instance in Georgia, because the, the poor Republicans there got insulted by one of the groups pushing uh, for voucher funding. It, it is there's a sickness and i and i think it starts a republican national committee uh instead of really 
creating great energy at the local level. They, they suck the life out of it. Uh, and we've got to find a way uh, to reinstill that energy. Uh, Donald Trump and, and America First candidates in 2022 are absolutely critical to that. But we've got to be full engaged participants in this democracy. Daniel Patrick Moynihan, uh, before he was a senator, before he was a politician and uh, a, a member of the uh, Nixon cabinet, was, was a brilliant sociologist. And he wrote a terrific book uh, called Participatory Democracy, and in which he exhorted Americans to always be engaged at the local level, every level you can uh, in your school board meeting. And I don't think there is any way in the world uh, we can improve on uh, our act, our activism than by beginning with a pledge to be in that school board meeting. I don't care if you're retired. I don't care if you're working uh, two jobs. Get to that school board meeting. Get to that city council meeting and get engaged in your community uh, as a traditional conservative Republican and let the devil take the hindmost. If somebody doesn't like it, you know, too bad. It's America. And we have a right to our, our principles, our beliefs, uh, our religion, our politics, and make it known because our interest is in the future of this country. And that means we have, we have to engage with the left uh, instead of acquiesce. Amen, Lou. Let me tell you, one last thing I want to touch on uh, is uh, a lot of time we've, you and I have talked in, in this last few minutes uh, on really the youth of America, and that is, you know, schools and education and school boards and community participation. You cited your own uh, public school upbringing and, uh, you know, a handful of teachers who took the time to make sure that you understood uh, your lessons and that your head was screwed on straight. And you obviously have done very well for yourself. So amen. And thank you to those teachers. But here's something that I, I'd like to get your take on. And I, I know that you uh, have paid close attention to this. And that is because uh, it also has to do with the border. But the, the key thing here is that the number one killer of Americans ages 18 to 45, the number one killer is fentanyl. Yep. And yeah. that is destroying generations of America's youth. And I, I just want to have, I want, I want a pure, unadulterated, raw, Lou feedback on what fentanyl is doing and what our leaders are not doing. Donald Trump was the first president uh, that I ever heard say he was going to take on the drug cartels of Mexico. He actually said that out loud. And we watched the, the, the government, the deep state, sort of shrivel in fear uh, at the fact he would say that. But he meant what he said, and we began that effort. Uh, he began that effort. And the deep state now has fully recoiled, and that engagement is no more. Fentanyl comes to us courtesy of the communist Chinese. It comes across the border courtesy of the corrupt cartels. It then goes into our cities thanks to gang members, MS-13, and uh, dozens of others who distribute it. 
killing and by the way there is as they say this is not a this is not class warfare it's every class uh, of uh, working people uh, to the wealthy who are uh, are being taken down uh, by these opiates these drugs and particularly fentanyl uh, and we don't hear a peep from this president we we did hear i thought you might think it was kind of interesting we did hear that he decided it was time to fund the police again and secure the border. This man is is he's triangulating because he's looking at 37 percent approval ratings instead of instead of looking at that border and looking into the faces of of uh, thousands upon thousands of Americans who have lost uh, a family member, a friend uh, to fentanyl. It's outrageous that we are such cowards, and we must call ourselves what we are. We are cowards not to go out to win the war against drugs, the cartels, uh, and the Chinese who produce that fentanyl. It's got to stop if we are to preserve this country. And first, we have to muster the courage to say what must be done. We have to secure that border, and we have to know who and what crosses it because the lives of too many Americans are at stake. Every day, we persist in believing that there is virtue in Biden and the left and their call for open borders and ignoring illegal immigration and smuggling. Lou, I knew that you would lay it on the line and uh, put the cards on the table, and you did it beautifully. And uh, we cannot stand by and allow uh fentanyl and the the criminal conspiracy behind it uh the mexican cartels and the chinese that are literally attacking us uh and they're doing so with biden subsidies i mean the, the biden administration just short of of uh actively firsthand participating in in the deaths of americans they are facilitating it in every way possible and so i appreciate you uh being as forthright as you were on that lou as we uh, as we reach the end of the show uh, for this week, I want to pause and offer special thanks to you, Lou, uh, for taking the time to be with our audience, uh, but especially for your support and friendship over the years, professionally and personally. It has been a great blessing to me and a great encouragement. And so I want to thank you very much for, for joining us today. Well, Chris, uh, Thank you uh, for your friendship and for uh, all that we've uh, done together professionally. Uh, it's uh, and thank you for all the judicial watch uh, and uh, you have done to to preserve those borders and to uh, awaken the American public to the to the devastation that's wrought by uh, an open border and an indifference to whom we allow into this country. Um, Thanks for that, Chris. Uh, you're a, a great friend and a great American. And thanks for the invitation to be here. I've enjoyed our talk. I've enjoyed it as well. And I know that our listeners have. If you've enjoyed this uh, this particular episode of On Watch, uh, be sure to follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, uh, subscribe to us and leave us a rating. And uh, once again, we thank our good friend Lou Dobbs for taking time out to giving us Lou's State of the Union and uh, edifying us all with his insights. I'm Chris Farrell on Watch. Thanks for listening to Chris Farrell's On Watch podcast. 
For more information, visit www.judicialwatch.org because no one is above the law.